Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. So we've dealt with things like loneliness. Uh, Ricky last week shared about burnout, just ministry burnout, and trying to please God through our efforts and how that just is totally bankrupts your joy because that's not the way it's supposed to work. We're going to deal with things like self-worth. We're going to deal with things, you know, like dealing with guilt. But today we're going to deal with this thing called inadequacy, the hurt, the feeling of inadequacy. We've been using this phrase, we have it up on the screen, called hurt people hurt people. At least it should. Yeah, there it is. Hurt people hurt people. And the whole point of this is, you know, we don't want to hurt people, but we end up hurting people because we ourselves are hurting. And if you survey your life, the times when you've hurt others the most, let's be honest, it was when times when you were hurting the most. And so our idea, our our desire this fall is to really connect the dots between what Jesus has done so that we can find, and, and the hurts that we face in life, so we can find true healing. And the result of that will be we, we stop hurting people. And we could change that to healed people heal people, in a sense. And so we want to find true healing where it comes from, which is from Christ. And so as I said, we're going to deal with inadequacy. A quick working definition of inadequacy from Macmillan uh, Dictionary right here is a lack of confidence. Oh, oh nope, nope, there it is. A lack of confidence that makes someone feel they are not good enough to deal with a, a particular situation or with life in general. And what we really want to focus in on is that phrase, they feel that you're not good enough. When we were meeting with the band earlier, I won't say which band member, but I was telling them what we're going to talk about. And when I I mentioned this word of inadequacy, he said, oh, preach it, preach it. Because he, like all of us, go through very heavy seasons of feeling that we're never going to be good enough in a particular situation or with life in general. Now, inadequacy is a little bit different from self-worth. We're going to deal with self-worth in a couple of weeks. Self-worth has to do with your value, how you value yourself. Inadequacy has more to deal with your ability to perform in a certain situation. For me, one of the hardest, uh, the, most dif- the, the, the most difficult uh, feeling of inadequacy, inadequacy I have, just to be honest, just kind of let it all hang out there for a second, is this planting of Life Journey Church. Often, I'll have thoughts that say, okay, God used me and my family to get it to this point. Maybe there's somebody else who needs to come in and take it from here to the next point, to the next level, to the next phase of what this is supposed to do. And so I have these inadequacy issues of, am I able, you hear that? Am I able to do what I think needs to get done for the growth and the health of this church? And I'm just being honest. That's just what an inadequacy issue I face. But if we're all honest, we would all say that we all deal with, at some level, inadequacy. 
think of parenting. Is not parenting just a journey from one station of inadequacy to another? Think about it. When you were handed your child for the very first time, of all the emotions that you had, one of them, I guarantee, was, uh, what in the world am I supposed to do with this thing? Now, I'm sure there was other emotions as well, but am I able? It's an ability question. It's an adequacy issue. Am I able to provide for this child what that child needs so that 20 years from now, they're actually a productive member of society? Then you start to get your ground, you know, your feet under you as they're an infant, and then they become what? Two years old. And then you're back to square what? One. We're dealing with this with Drake right now. And it is question, you are questioning your adequacy, your ability to not in the life of that two-year-old so that they do have the ability to continue living up until... And then you get your feet under you at the two-year-old age. And then they get into school. They start going off to school and coming home asking questions that you are not adequate to answer, like math, right? Like the I before E rule, right? Except after C or in neighboring way and all throughout May, (laughs) whatever. All right, that little Brian Regan. Uh, You should listen to him. He's hilarious. All right, so... And then, and then the social questions that they start asking, questions that kindergartners and first graders are asking their parents today, man, I didn't even know about till I was like in high school. Am I adequate? Am I able to deal, to, to handle this as a parent? Then they become what? A teenager. And let's just be honest, not a single one of us will ever, and you know who've been there, you don't get your feet under you during that stage. It's just, what's the next stage? Let's get to it as quickly as possible when they move out or something like that. And then once they move out, the, the, the inadequacy is this. Did I do enough? Was I able? Did I perform well enough as a parent so now they are able to be adequate, to be productive in this world? That's just parenting. I mean, we're not going to get into you know, marriage, into work, into you know, education. That's just parenting. We all deal with inadequacy, this inadequacy complex, if you will. It's fueled in our society by things like airbrushed supermodels and TV programs. Like when I was a kid, you know, the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Remember that show for the younger generation, you know, MTV Cribs, you know? It's this idea that that you see what they have, you see what you have, and you don't believe that you have the ability to get what they have. That's inadequacy. It's our, we're fueled by it through our society. And as soon as we think that it's just us regular folk that deal with it, we then come across articles, and it's in your Bible notes, it's not on the screen, from the Harvard Political Review. You know, I read that after breakfast every day. The Harvard Political Review has an article about this issue of in, the inadequacy complex written by a student who says this, and I quote, It's in your Bible notes. For those of us who cannot describe ourselves with a superlative, the inadequacy complex is the constant fixation on the feeling that we are not doing enough, with the fear that our acceptance into Harvard will be our greatest accomplishment ever in life. So look, let's just be honest. If people who are in Harvard are dealing with inadequacy complex, I don't think any of us are are, going to be immune to this issue of dealing with inadequacies. Now, inadequacy is unique. It's unique because it can be both good and it can be very, very bad. 
It can be bad if we take these feelings of inadequacy and they continue to drive us into some sort of spiral of depression where we feel as though that we, 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 we lose joy and we lose you know, significance and we go into this empty funk of life and, and we end up giving up on even trying to do life and we end up just giving up on life, period, because why try? Because we are so inadequate. And that happens. That happens all too often. In fact, and I, told, I used this quote, uh, this stat a couple weeks ago, that two out of every three teenagers have actually seriously contemplated suicide because of this inadequacy complex. But the inadequacy is a good thing if we see that we, no matter how hard we try, cannot be adequate in and of ourselves And therefore, we must turn to someone, capital S, who can make us adequate. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at an example. You can go ahead and take your Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to see a real example of where Paul, he identifies his inadequacies, and then he boasts in the one who actually makes him adequate. Now, Paul, his entire life, most of his life, he spent trying to live up to the Mosaic law. God gave Moses the law, and Paul said, he looked at it, and he said, you know what? I think I can do that. I can become adequate before God by doing what is written in these letters called the law. And it wasn't until he was, you know, on his way to Jerusalem where the Lord opened his eyes and Paul realized, oh my goodness, I could never in a million years on my own be adequate before God. And so I must trust in what Jesus has done to actually be adequate. And then Paul spends the rest of his life going around from city to city declaring, stop trying to find your adequacy in what you can do, especially in the law, by, 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 by fulfilling the Mosaic law. Stop that and start trusting in the one who can actually make you adequate forever, and he is Jesus. But we have to remember that as he was going around to these different churches, people would come behind him, and these people are called Judaizers. And I know we don't use a whole lot of like big Bible words, you know, at Life Journey, but this is one that we need to really understand because if we don't understand what's going on in the New Testament with these Judaizers, it, we miss what's actually being written in the New Testament. But these Judaizers were people who said, who came behind Paul and said, Paul got it half right. We do need Jesus, but we need also to really be adequate with God, we need the law. We need to obey what is written in letters, namely what's written on stones, which are the Ten Commandments. Jesus is good, but we've got to add our doing of the law to be adequate. Those people are called Judaizers. And so Paul, he's writing letter after letter after letter back to the churches that he's founded to try to correct their perverted thinking because they've strayed from the profound simplicity of the gospel. In fact, the letters that we have in the New Testament are many of those letters that Paul wrote to try to correct this wrong thinking. So we're going to pick up in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians and see how God actually brings healing into this world through our inadequacy issues by this thing called the covenant. And we've said this before that God spells healing C-O-V-E-N-A-N-T. So starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll read and we'll make some comments and we'll move forward. 
Are we, this is Paul talking, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? So apparently these Judaizers who had come to Corinth, they had letters with them from maybe Jerusalem somewhere saying, hey, these people you need to listen to so that you get the real deal, the real gospel. And Paul is saying, letters? Really? You really need letters in order to you know, believe the truth? And look at what he says in verse 2. He says, you are our letter, written in our heart, known and read by all men being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us. Now look at this. Not written with ink, but with the very Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of the human heart. So we see what Paul is doing. He's telling them to trust the Spirit of God in them, over trusting some letters that have arrived by Pony Express from Jerusalem. He's telling them, don't trust external letters that have been sent to you, saying that you need to add to Jesus. Trust the Spirit of God that's in you. But again, these Judaizers were teaching that in order to really be adequate, they've got to add to Jesus alone. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. It's not tablets of stone. It's tablets of the human heart. Now, what is he referring to when he says tablets of stone? Well, we don't have to wonder because we can just read the Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 13. This is back in the Old Covenant just after God had given these tablets to Moses. And this is what God says. He says, so he, God, declared to you his covenant with which he commanded you to perform. That is, look at this, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. So when Paul is saying, look, it's not the tablets that we're after. It's the spirit of Christ in you that we're after. The tablets he's talking about are the Ten Commandments. He's saying, look, we don't become adequate with God by doing the law, including the Ten Commandments. We can't do it. We've never been able to do it. As a whole people group of Israel, we've never been able to live up to this. So why in the world are we placing this onto our Gentile brothers and asking them, demanding them to live up to it? Verse 4 says, such confidence we have. This is back in 2 Corinthians 3. Such confidence we have. So we're able to say this. We have confidence to say this through Christ towards God. Now listen to this. Not that we are adequate in ourselves. So he's saying we could never in a million years be adequate by what we do with the tablets. It's not about ourselves. It's not about us making ourselves adequate. He says it's not ourselves. It's not that that we are adequate in ourselves to, to consider anything coming from ourselves. It's not the outside in that makes us adequate. But our adequacy is from God. So so Paul, he celebrates something that we don't do very well, at least I don't do very well. Paul celebrates the fact that he on his own is inadequate and he never will be adequate no matter how many stones there are or how few stones there are. 
He'll never be adequate by following the stones, the Ten Commandments, because he realizes, he celebrates that, and then he celebrates that his true adequacy comes from who? From God. Now, he, an- he answers, so, so adequacy has to do with what you're able to do. And so what, is, what has Paul and all those of us who trust in Jesus, what have we been adequate, what have we been made adequate to do? Well, he answers that for us in verse 5. Look at this. I mean, sorry, verse 6. Who also, talking about God, made us adequates as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, think law, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives what? Life. Okay, so Paul is about to impart some of the most controversial yet covenant clarity of what the reality truly is. There's some major covenant confusion going on in Corinth, and I would say, I would submit, at least for me, for most of my life in the church in America, there's major covenant confusion going on here as well. Paul came to Corinth to tell them originally that they are made adequate with God by trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. And remember, these guys show up called Judaizers with their letters from Jerusalem saying that Jesus is a good start, but here's the list of what you really have to do to really be right with God. And he gives, they give them this list that they themselves can never live up to themselves. And so Paul opens up this huge controversial can of clarity, covenant clarity and starts pouring it out over the next couple of verses. This is why what we're about to read, I'm being very honest with you, this is why Paul was beaten, what we're about to read. This is why Paul was stoned to death, attempted stoned to death several times. This is why he was kicked out of cities. This is why he was run away from synagogues because of what we're about to read. The first thing he says, and we're going to use our trusty little whiteboard over here to try to help us, you know, see what this is all about. Maybe this is helpful. Maybe it's not. Uh, For those who it is helpful for, great. For those who it's not, I apologize. Um, But the first thing that he says is that we've been made adequate as ministers of a new covenant. And the word uh, minister or servant, we become a servant of the new... The word servant, just think of someone who delivers something to someone else. You know, like a server at your restaurant, he delivers the food from the kitchen to your table. It's a messenger, someone who brings something. And so we've been made adequate as ministers or as messengers, as deliverers of a new covenant. And then he describes what this covenant is and isn't. Now, if we are adequate to minister the new covenant, not the old covenant, isn't it important for us to know what the new covenant is versus what the old covenant is? I think it's very, very important because we're not adequate to minister the old covenant. But I think that most of us, myself especially, have spent most of our lives ministering the old covenant. So look at what he says. He says, and somebody can scream this out. We're a smaller crowd today, so we uh, can do things a little bit different. He says, uh, we're adequate as ministers or messengers of the new covenant, and he says, not of what? The letter. So he says, not, we'll write letter right here. Not the letter, but we are adequate as ministers of the new covenant of the what? 
Right. So not the letter, but spirit. Now, what we're going to see him do is to describe ad nauseum. This is very controversial. What we've not been qualified to do, not adequate to do, and what we are adequate to do. You see this? Hopefully this is helpful. It is for me. Let's continue reading. He says, not the letter, but the spirit. For the letter what? Whoa. We'll write down kills. But the spirit gives what? Life. You guys are excellent. Now, where in the world does Paul get off saying that the letter, the law, namely, he's been talking about the Ten Commandments, where does he get off saying that the letter, the law, the Ten Commandments kills? Where does he get off saying that? And that the Spirit gives life? Great question. And the scripture will be up on the screen, but it's also in the Bible app. You can write it down. It's Exodus. In Exodus, Moses is walking down from the mountain, Mount Sinai, with the stone tablets in his hand. And the very first one says something to the effect of, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And then a variety of other laws, commandments in these tablets that he's bringing down. And the very first thing that Moses walks into when he walks into camp is the people having set up a golden calf, a golden altar, and they were worshiping that golden calf, placing a god before God. So already, automatically, they were violators of this law, and the, the chisel marks were still wet. Are chisel marks wet? I don't know. It was still, it was fresh. The chisel marks were still fresh. The dust hadn't settled yet, and they were already violating it. God says, because they violated my command, I want all the Levites to go through the camp with a sword on their thigh and slaughter every single one who has broken my command who has broken my letter, who has broken my stone. Exodus 32, 28 is the summary of that. It says, so the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed, and God had instructed Moses, and about 3,000 men that day fell. So when Paul says the letter kills, he's reading Exodus 32. Because they violated the law, they were killed, about 3,000 men, because of what they did with that golden calf. But he says that the Spirit gives life. By the way, this Exodus passage is the very first Pentecost of the first covenant. It's the first Pentecost of the old covenant. Pentecost is 50 days after the law was given, uh, 50 days after Passover. And that's when the law was given. Pentecost is a celebration of the law. And so when the law was given, the very first Pentecost of the first covenant, 3,000 men died because of their violation of the stones, the Ten Commandments. If you fast forward to the very first Pentecost of the New Covenant, Paul says that the Spirit gives life. What is he talking about? Well, I think he's talking about Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Remember in Acts 2, Peter starts preaching. This is the first Pentecost of the New Covenant, and the Spirit of God descends. What happens that day? There's a bunch of lawbreakers out there who possibly, we could say, are even more culpable than the ones back in Exodus. Because ones back in Exodus, they they didn't really have the law for very long, and they were guilty, and they were killed. But these people in Acts chapter 2, they had had it their whole lives for generations. But when the Spirit came that day in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, here's what the Scripture says. So then those who had received his word, Peter's word, because Peter's preaching, they were baptized, and that day there were what? 3,000 souls added. So on the first Pentecost of the Old Covenant... 3,000 souls died because of the violation of the law. The first Pentecost of the new covenant, 3,000 souls were given life. 
So yeah, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Let's pick up in verse 7. But if the ministry of death engraved on stones, okay? So we're talking about the letter, the, what we're not. He calls it the ministry of what? Death engraved on stones. We just saw the passage from Deuteronomy 4. What was the only part of the law engraved on stones? The Ten Commandments. And he calls the Ten Commandments the ministry of death. Not Walt, but Paul. You see, you're picking up on why Paul was stoned several different times. Are you going to call our stones the stones of death, dead gummit? Paul, we're going to throw some stones at you. And so Paul, very controversial. He's saying we've not been adequate to minister this, the Ten Commandments. It's the ministry of death. He says, if the ministry of death engraved in letters of stone came with glory, so we're going to write glory over here, because it did come with glory. And he explains it. It did come with glory, so much so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was. So this glory was what kind of glory? It was fading glory. I don't know if you can see this or not, but I just think it's good to see the dichotomy between these two things. It was fading glory. He says, if that which had glory, though it was fading, verse 8, how much or how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? So we're going to write over here, more glory. So the law was certainly glorious. I mean, so much so that the, law, the face of Moses actually brightened because of its glory. But the face of Moses started to dim quickly because of the glory of the law was dimming quickly. The brightness of Moses' face faded, a picture showing that the law and its glory and the Ten Commandments were fading in their glory. Now, was the Ten Commandments, was it the glory of the Ten Commandments fading because there was something wrong with the Ten Commandments? No way. Not at all. In fact, God is the one who gave the Ten Commandments, so there's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. The glory of the Ten Commandments faded because there was something coming that had far surpassing glory. Look at verse 9. It's exactly what he says starting in verse 9. He says, for, and he says basically the same thing in a different way, if the ministry of condemnation has glory, all right, so we'll write condemnation. By the way, I bet you didn't know that Paul calls the Ten Commandments the ministry of condemnation. I didn't until a few years ago when I read 2 Corinthians 3. I'd read 2 Corinthians 3 all my life. But you know what I mean when, when you actually finally see what actually is going on? He says, if it came with glory, if it has glory, and it does. Man, the Ten Commandments. How much more does the ministry of righteousness, right, E-O-U-S-ness, abound. I love that. Abound in glory. So the ministry of the Spirit has abounding glory. 
the ministry of condemnation had glory, and it does, man, just think of how much more the ministry of righteousness abounds in glory. For indeed, verse 10, that which had glory, the Ten Commandments, in this case has what? You say it, because it feels weird for me to say it. Has what? No glory. Doesn't that feel weird? Let's just be honest. Doesn't it feel weird to read Paul say that the Ten Commandments has no glory? I mean, let's just be honest. Anybody else feel kind of weird when you read that? I do. I feel weird because I grew up my whole life with the Ten Commandments in my bedroom trying to live up to them. And Paul is saying that they have no glory. He says they have no glory because of the glory, look at this, that surpasses. I don't think I spelled that right. Surpasses it. For if that which fades away, the Ten Commandments, the law, was with glory, so much more will that which remain have glory. Remain. That's, I think, the last thing we're going to write. The ministry of the Spirit that we have been made messengers of, the glory of that remains, whereas the glory of the Ten Commandments has faded to the point where it has no glory. I was trying to think of a very simple illustration to try to explain what's going on here. And I think this helps. If it doesn't, we'll come up with a different one. If we were to shut all the lights off in this room, I mean, you can't even see the hand in front of your face. It's that pitch black dark. And you remember those old, you know, uh, little pin lights that the doctor would have, look down your throat, whatever, those little ones that, you know, has a little, looks like a pin, you know, and you like try to use it and it doesn't work because it's a, it's a light. Let's imagine that we have one of those in this entire room to help us, you know, tie our shoes, to help us, you know, whatever. It's awesome. We finally have light because we've been going around with no light for so long. And we're like, oh, finally we have some light. But then one day somebody brings the lights from the football stadium, all of them, into the room and turns them on. How many of us are going to be like, Dad, where is that pin light? Right? You see this? You see what I'm saying? Is there anything wrong with the pin light? Not a single thing wrong with the pin light. But a far surpassing light has come. You see that? Think of the moon and the sun. When you're in the middle of the day, working on your car, working outside, and it is a bright, beautiful day, what are you not wondering? What are you not looking for? What are you not concerned about? The moon. It's like, oh, I can see everything clearly, but I need the moon. No, the moon is faded in its glory. The moon is glorious, but it's faded in its glory because of a far surpassing glory, the sun. In fact, the moon is just a mere shadow, reflection of the sun. The law was set up to be glorious, but it's faded to the point where now today it has no glory because this football stadium lights, the sun itself, S-U-N and the S-O-N, have come in and have illuminated every single dark crevice with a glory unspeakable, far surpassing, permanent, and it remains forever. Let's be sure we pick up on this. Is there anything wrong with the Ten Commandments? Not a single thing God gave them. But what is wrong? What's wrong is looking at them and thinking, you know what? I can be acceptable, adequate before God by doing them. 
And that's what the Judaizers were coming to town to do. And that is what Religion 101 teaches. That is what Walt Davis was wrapped up in for the first 31 years of his life. I said, Jesus is good, but I've really, to really be right with God, I've got to stop doing this and I've got to start doing that. The very Son of God Himself was shining brightly into my life. And I said, I need to find that little light pen to really figure out this thing called life. You see why Paul was thrown out of a lot of places? You see why Paul was criticized, ridiculed? You see why he was beaten? by the Jews and the Gentiles alike with whips, 2 Corinthians, he talks about later. And he says, verse 12, therefore having such a confidence, that is, I mean, sorry, such a hope, think of confidence. We use great boldness of speech. He said, because of how surpassing the Spirit is over the letter, man, we make a big deal about this. You say, why, Walt, do we make such a big deal about the new covenant? Because it's everything. It is everything, everything. And he says, verse 13, we are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened for until this day, this very day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it's only removed in Christ. And he says that same thing again in the last sentence there, verse 15. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil over their hearts remains. A veil lies over their hearts. So apparently Moses knew that the glory of his face was fading away. And so he put a veil over his face so that people wouldn't know that the glory of the Ten Commandments was actually fading in preference of something else. I bet most of us knew that Moses put a veil over his face. If you've been to Sunday school, if you've read the Old Testament, you probably knew. But how many of us knew that he did that in order to prop up something that was actually fading? And Paul is saying, we are not like that. We don't need to put a veil over our face to cover something that's fading because what we have is far surpassing. What we have is abounding in glory. What we have has a glory that remains forever to the point where he says, whenever the law is read today, that same veil of confusion, that same veil of covenant confusion remains. Again, is the law bad? No, no. No, but the thinking that we can become adequate by doing the law is bad, very bad. Look at verse 16. But whoever turns to the Lord, whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. This is repentance. This is the transferring our trust from looking at the law and saying, man, I think I can do it. I think I can pull it off. It's transferring the trust from that over to Jesus and saying, as Paul did on the road to Damascus, I cannot, no matter how hard I try, I must rest in someone else who can actually make me adequate. When someone turns to the Lord, that veil of confusion is taken away. When we turn to Jesus, the blindness is removed. We realize we can never do it. And in fact, we embrace our inadequacy on our own. We own it. We say, we never can, so I'm going to stop trying. And we rest in the one who actually makes us adequate. Now look at verse 17. This is so cool to me. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit. 
So he identifies this. The Lord is this. So we're going to write, oh, this is, well, that's all right. We're going to write, this is Jesus. The Lord is the Spirit. So the Lord, Jesus is the giver of life. Jesus is the one who has more glory. Jesus is the minister of righteousness. Jesus is the one who is abounding in glory. Jesus is the one whose glory has surpassed the glory of the letter, the stones, the Ten Commandments. And Jesus is the one whose glory remains forever. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty. The word means the freedom to go where you want to go. The freedom to go where you want to go. Think of how much of a contrast that is to the law. 613 things telling you where you've got to go. And if you don't go there and do them, it then tells you where you're going to go, if you know what I'm saying, because it's the ministry of death and condemnation. Think of the contrast. In the Lord, we have liberty. We have freedom to go where we want. With the law, we have no freedom, no freedom whatsoever. Now, if you're like me with the religious thinking, we say, wait a second, the freedom to do what we want to do, to go where we want to go, if that's really what we have, is that not going to lead to just more sinning and, and falling off the wagon and doing a lot of really dumb things if we now have the freedom to go and do what we want? Well, Paul, Paul helps us out here. Our last verse, verse 18, and we're going to wrap up. He says, but we, verse 18, with unveiled faces, meaning we don't have to cover up this glory because it's not fading, it's not going anywhere. We all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Moses put a veil over his face. We're not like that to hide a fading glory. We're not like that. We have no veil because the glory isn't going anywhere. Look at where this glory is. Where do you have to look to see the glory of the Lord? Somebody tell me. In a what? In a mirror. Now, this might blow our socks off. What do you see when you look in a mirror? You see yourself, of course. You came to church to learn that. And Paul is saying that we, now because of what Jesus has done, when we look into a mirror, we are now adequate to now see the very glory of the Lord. This glory of the Lord that now rests and lives where? In us. In us, the glory of the Lord now rests. This isn't about some stones externally trying to change us externally. This is the very power and the presence and the glory of the Lord Jesus himself now in us. When we look in a mirror, we're now able to see, if we look through the veil of this world and the flesh, we're able to see now the very glory of the Lord, Christ in us, our hope of glory. In eight verses from this verse, which we're not going to get to, Paul says that this treasure, the glory of the Lord in us, this treasure is now inside of this weak earthen vessel. So we still have the flesh, yes, but we have the presence and the power and the glory of the Lord himself 
now in us. And this is basically what Paul is saying. How silly it is to think that some stones with etchings, with markings, are able to do for you what the very real, surpassing, eternal glory of the Lord Jesus Christ himself now in you is able to do. Why in the world are we going back to something that has no glory to try to stimulate good behavior when the very presence and the fullness of Christ himself has now come and lives in us? But if we don't live by laws and rules, then won't we fall off the wagon? Won't we go off and sin if we don't have rules to live by, Paul? Well, look at what he says. We all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, when we see who we are, who he is, and who we are now in him, we are being, look at this, being transformed into that same image. Our outside is being transformed into the reality of what's inside. But does that come by stones? No, it comes by seeing the very fullness and the glory of the Lord that has now taken up residence in us. You say, well, how does that happen? Who does this? Who makes this happen? Don't we have to double down our efforts to make this all happen? Well, look what he says, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. The ESV makes it a little bit clearer, that last little sentence, it says it this way. For this transformation, this this changing of the outside to match up with the inside, this transformation comes from the Lord himself, who is the Spirit. So what's Paul saying? He's saying we've been made adequate to look in a mirror now and actually behold the very glory of the Lord now in us. This isn't about stones trying to live up to them. They're good. They're perfect. They're awesome. But they were never given to us to show us how to live. They were given us to show how we're dead. And something that has now come with a far surpassing glory now lives in us. And when we believe it, when we see it, when we look in the mirror and behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. Or other translations will say, by degree by degree, the outside catching up with the inside. And what's our role in that? To believe, to look at the mirror and say, I am who he says I am. And Jesus is the one who brings the transformation. It's up to him, and we just trust in him. Remember the fruit of the Spirit. Is it the fruit of you? doing really, really well to do really, really good things? No, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Our band's going to come up, and we're going to close out this morning with just a little song to give us some time and space to just think about this. And this is very heavy. It's very controversial, I understand. But this is the gospel. This is the new covenant. This is the reality of what we now have. Christian, you can take this off if you don't mind, so you can see This is the new covenant. It's the reality of what you and I now have in Jesus. This is what God has made you adequate to do. He has made you adequate to proclaim the new covenant to yourself and to others. He has made you adequate now to stand before a mirror and say the very glory of the Lord Jesus himself now lives in me. And as you believe it, as your mind is renewed to the truth of what is, then Jesus at work in you 
to bring out what he's already placed in you. God's confidence isn't in you and your flesh. His confidence is in his son who now lives in you. It's not about stones. Are the stones good? Yes. Please hear me. I hope I've said that a couple times. But the far surpassing glory of Jesus has resulted in the compar- by comparison to where the stones have no glory. So why do we go to them? Why do we go to the law? Why do we go to rules to live by when we have the very glory of the Lord in us by which we live? Look, the Lord might not make you adequate for every single scenario in life. Kids, family, job, right? We're going to struggle with those, the feeling of inadequacy and those things. But look at what he has made you adequate to do and to be. He has made you adequate as servants, messengers of this new covenant. He has made you adequate now because his glory is in you for you to be transformed outwardly from the inside out. So the next time you face a very real issue, like I will, I'm sure, this week, of being reminded of how inadequate we are in a situation, let that even be an opportunity to remind you of how adequate you have been made by the God of the universe. And that's our journey marker, by the way. Our journey marker is just this. When, not if, (laughs) but when overwhelmed with something you can't do, when that feeling of inadequacy comes, it's going to come. Let that be a time to remember what God has enabled you to do, to be transformed by the power of Jesus now in you. Let's go ahead and stand and get ready to sing. This song we're going to sing is I Stand Amazed, and I, I think it's a very appropriate song for what we just read. We might have read some things that you've never read before in your life. And I stand amazed, and I've read this obviously several times now, and I still stand amazed that the very thing that I put my hope in doing the law, Paul says, has no glory. And it's the ministry of death and of condemnation. I stand amazed that the very glory of the Lord himself now lives in us. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. And I pray, Father, that this word of Paul that you gave him to share to the Corinthians 2,000 years ago would open our eyes further to see what you have made us adequate to be and to do in this world, adequate messengers of this new covenant, the Spirit. So, Father, if there's anybody here who does not know you as Savior, I pray, Father, that they would turn to the Lord, that they would turn to you and find their joy in Jesus alone. Because it's not just about the Ten Commandments. It's about any sort of thinking that by doing something, we make ourselves adequate before you. Father, may we turn our back on that and turn to you, embracing our inadequacy and embracing the fact that you make us adequate. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. 
Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.